0: Welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. My name is Austin Chatter, and co-host is Chris Lucian. And today uh, is basically going to be Chris and I having a discussion and sharing on uh, what does it mean to be a learning organization? You know, so, uh, you know, we both just read uh, this book called The Fifth Discipline. We've also read some other books uh, related to that, you know, being a learning organization, learning you know, team, all those kind of things. And also it's something we've been striving to do where we work for a long time, you know? Uh, uh, so I guess maybe to kick it off, um, maybe we'll talk about what it's not uh, a little bit. So Chris is, you know, being a learning organization is basically just, all we need to do is just schedule more training and just jam more information down. Yeah, yeah, find, find every possible uh,
1: certification yeah. and like every, every peripheral thing that you may or may not need.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, you.
1: definitely not. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's kind of funny because I think in a lot of organizations, like learning is something that managers and, and other leaders, you know, feel like they need to have their teams do, but they don't, you know, it, it needs to be, you know, uh, structured and maybe directed towards, you know, maybe they pay for a conference for their team, for the tools that they use. And then it's like, oh, I'm done. You know, they've learned new things and now we're going to go into the next year armed with everything we need to know going forward or something in, in those lines. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. How about you? What
0: was? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I think um, I just got finished reading Turn the Ship Around, thanks to your recommendation. And then I read this one. And so I feel like there's, there's a cool tie-in, right? And so in, in Turn This Ship Around, he talks about, you know, giving, he wants to give the power to the people doing the work, right? And so the instead of, you know, information going up the chain to authority, it's giving authority to the people with information. And one of the problems with that was that it's basically chaotic unless the people doing the work have enough information to actually make decisions. Like, whether it's technical information or domain information. And so if it is a better model that, uh, you know, uh, the intelligence is with the people doing the work as opposed to just someone sitting up on high, just handing out tasks to everybody who, who knows how to do everything, then being a learning organization is key. And so one of the things I remember from Turn the Ship Around for them was it didn't it wouldn't really make sense until everything that was happening was a learning moment, right? As yeah, opposed yeah. to being oh, I go to work today and I just do what I'm told and I don't have to think a whole lot um, is that I have to be learning from my context all the time for me to be competent enough to be a good decision maker in the system. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's also important. So in the fifth discipline, uh,
1: there's a lot of dialogue, uh, a lot of uh, discussion around this idea that if you feel like you're just a part of the, if you, you're just part of the whole system and you're doing your job and uh and if something goes wrong then it must be somebody's fault because it, you know if everybody's doing their job then then everything should just flow properly um and and often the entire system is not taken into account and i think that that's a great parallel because, because turn the ship around also um you know i think that in in the very beginning of the book they talk about how everything was operating before uh totally command and control um and uh, and morale was down because, you know, people didn't have the ability to affect the system as a whole and everybody was coming in to just kind of do their job. Um, so, so there's probably a key element there of, of uh, having the ability, uh, I guess, the, um, the agency to modify the system as a whole. Um, and, you know, that I think also then implies that you're doing some level of systems thinking, um, and paying attention to feedback loops and, and, uh, um, and the building of momentum or the, uh, the destruction of momentum, uh, in any given, uh, feedback loop. Um, and so I, you know, I found all of those things really interesting. I think that, um, you know, it, so when someone is learning uh, in a learning organization or when the organization as a whole is learning uh it's you know paying attention to the system paying attention to the things that uh will lead to kind of a compounding of of ability um and uh you know and i, and I think that like, that's kind of the tie in to mobbing even is like you know you have one person's perspective in the system and maybe the entire system is a little harder to see, but now you have, you know, a cross-disciplinary view of what the system could be and, with different perspectives. And so, uh, you know, maybe the system is not perfectly clear, but uh, it it can be analyzed um, taking much more into account given the number of people involved.
0: Um, yeah, totally. I totally agree on that. And I think that was, a huge like win for me from like some of these books and then day-to-day life working in a system right is that um i like how in turn the ship around i was talking about the untapped potential human potential that was just living in the the team or the organizations where they were a part of the system seeing problems but basically not acting right Mm -hmm. they're not helping to solve those problems like an order would be given they know it's not going to work, but they just do it anyways, because as well, I'm just doing my job, you know? And then I can, I think the example given in the the fifth discipline was like uh, it was like the game they play with the ordering beer between like the, the retailer yeah, and the supplier beer, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the creator of it. Right. Um, where those people didn't feel like that, what they were observing meant anything enough to like discuss it in the overall system. And so, uh, from what I can see in, in kind of like a learning organization is you need to have that collective dialogue and collective vision making, right? And so like a collective vision, and then also a collective experience of reality, right? So um, if I'm just alone, and just blaming, you know, it's easy to blame, because I don't understand, I don't have that empathy. And it's also easier just to work hard, right? Like, so from like a technical perspective, it's like, uh, I think one you brought up before was, well, there's errors in the data every day, so I'm just going to manually fixing them, right? And I can just, you know, work harder to manually fix them. Um, where an, uh, an awareness where you have a dialogue with others in the system, um, you really become um, aware of like, oh, well, the data, what's causing this error in the data? Or, and, you know, what can we do to prevent it or stop it or fix it faster? And... And I really like that once, once like people uh, clue in to this, uh, not only the ability to do something about it, but the ability to learn about the system is that once you have the vision of what it could be and what it is, it's almost natural for everyone just to start working and dogpiling to fix it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it just initiative naturally kicks in. Um, but I think, I think the thing is it won't work unless people feel like they're, they have responsibility and initiative, right? Because if i don't care it's just like well well, whatever
1: yeah so it could be easily related to you know kaizen and and lean manufacturing and um that as well right so so noticing a improvement that can improve the entire system um i think even those are a little bit localized compared to the kind of systems thinking approach of uh, inflows outflows and feedback loops Um, but, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things are, are kind of in the spirit of, of the learning organization, right? It's like, um, the, the organization as a whole is going to adapt to changing circumstances. And I think that, uh, often I just see organizations that are very comfortable with the status quo and, and, uh, in particular, don't, um, don't take those uh, Kaizen uh, opportunities they don't they, they don't fight you know uh, they stagnate a little bit uh, over over time um, and I think that uh, you know it's a, a lot about you know will the company will the team will the individual uh, identify something um, and learn more or uh, will they, Stick with the status quo, um, and you know I see this a lot with uh, repetitive code being written. Um, you know I think a learning organization uh, would identify uh, something repetitive and either turn it into a template, or develop a new abstraction, or uh, create a code generator. Um, and, and, you know, every time that you do something two or three times, uh, especially uh, maybe in code or, or other things, um, new refactoring tools come, come along, all, all those sorts of things. Uh, every time you repeat yourself, you know, I think to me, it's, it's like, we've repeated ourselves just now. What can we learn from that? How, how can we learn to do the work better? How can we sharpen the saw, so to speak? Um, those sorts of things.
0: Right on, right on, and I think, I think maybe something that didn't occur in my mind until just now, and even for our own uh, kind of like mob programming philosophy culture stuff, is when I always thought of hey let's let's create a learning you know culture. The first thing that came to mind to me was conferences, learning time, and things like that. And while those things are good. Um, And they really help lots of things. They help create a lot of virtuous loops in the system. I think what I'm starting to learn is that um, even more significant and more primary than that is that you are learning all the time, (laughs) right? Every time you're doing work, you are learning about the system, right? (laughs) Or at least turn it into that kind of event, right? Because then that's how, as opposed to it being like, and it, and, it, and it also makes it way more practical too, right? Because not every company, not every organization can afford, you know, maybe they should, but maybe for whatever reason, the constraints can afford to send everyone to these trainings or, you know, uh, take away time from other things to do it. But if everything you're doing is a learning event, then that competence can build up everywhere in the organization and it's no longer siloed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I think, what, what what things have you seen that help switch people from that mode of like learning is separate from work and then work is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I think a big piece of
1: it is like a process of experimentation, right? So, uh, you know, I think you can really tell this, uh, I think pretty quickly from observing a retrospective, right? So, so um, you know, I think retrospectives are kind of a formalized way to to help uh, move a learning organization or, or move a group of people toward alert being a learning organization, for example. Um, and so if you see retrospectives that don't end up in, in an experiment, you know, either there are no action items that you come out with or you have way too many action items and there's no no follow-up, um, you know, unless your retrospectives end up being kind of like a hypothesis, a, a duration, you know, an anecdotal style experiment and then uh and then maybe developing some axioms at the end um then you're not really trying to uh you know you're not learning from the experience right because if you create a lot of action items and things are better but you don't really know why um then you haven't you haven't developed any knowledge to internalize and then i think the other uh way of doing that um you know, the opposite end of that is, is just doing them as a rote practice, uh, you know, in order to say, yes, we're agile because we do retrospectives. And so, um, but I think that, you know, that essence that of experimentation uh, to identify um, new effects on the system has to be fairly continuous. Um, and even, you know, it's like, oh yes, our team needs unit testing because they say unit testing is good, right? Um, you know, I, I, think that you might direct your learning toward that and, and it may eventually end up, uh, being incorporated into your process, but, but kind of observing and understanding the impacts of unit testing on your overall system, uh, especially with delays in the system. Right. So, um, you know, in the complex, uh, adaptive systems kind of, uh, uh, terminology, you have these delayed, uh, inflows, um, and so you might do something, but you might not see your improvements come until six months later. And, uh, I think that in the fifth discipline, for example, they, they, they make a point to say, um, you know, often we might take like a Tylenol to get rid of a headache or something. And we know not to take more just because we didn't feel that the effect of the headache, uh, went away but with the example of the beer game in the book um, you know, the exact same sort of thing, there was a delay in the whole system that then ended up uh, causing everybody to behave weird. And, uh, and so, you know, unless it's like really written for us on the bottle, right. The, um, that delayed reinforcing loop uh, doesn't become evident. Um, And, uh, and so, you know, really identifying Um, you know, not only the instant, uh, feedback loops, but those much longer feedback loops in the system. Those are some of the areas where it's like, Hey, we start unit testing now, six months later, our bugs go down, but maybe three months in somebody just says, well, this isn't really helping us. Our bug rate is the same and our, uh, and we're spending twice as long working on tests. (laughs) And so, um. I think that some of those were some of the, uh, you know, really key insights for me.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right. And I, I like how you, you tied that kind of the systems uh, thinking part because there, uh, there's this part of uh, the fifth discipline where he's, I think he, he's uh, stating um, something that was going on with Toyota. And uh, someone was saying like, oh yeah, you have Kanban, you have quality circles, you do all the same stuff but you're not getting the same results, you know, like what, well, what's, what's, what's the difference here. And, and it's like, well, you're not seeing how all the parts work together. You're not working towards like a collective common vision. You're just copying pasting practices. Right. And so, um, yeah. And so th- tying that into what you were saying, where, you know, to see, I, th- I think you're right. That, um, the systems thinking part needs to be modeled, and that that's maybe where mobbing comes in, right? Is because you can have someone in the mob be like, "Hey, why are we keep doing this repetitive thing? Or we keep having this problem again? Maybe it'd be good to go talk to this other part of the system and solve the deeper thing." And so, when you're modeling it in your in a mob or a team, like, "Hey, let's go let's go think deeper about the system. Let's go talk to other parts of the system, and let's uh, figure out how we impact each other." Uh, I love what you said about the fast feedback, because I think when a system gets more and more complex and it gets, you know, whether it's designed to be that way, or it just happened to be that way, when the feedback loops are really slow, it causes so much confusion. People don't understand how they're like, when we deliver this feature, when we work on this part of the database, why it breaks something, you know, 20 steps away. And so... I love um, one thing that I've seen that's strongly correlated with mobbing is all the things that matter are automated such that the feedback is instantaneous, right? So <laughs> if there's potential to break something like in another part of the system, whether it's the human system or a technical system, there is something automated that will break and fail in a pipeline or send an email or, <laughs> you know, and so that feedback is instantaneous because then the mystery goes away, right? And um, that's part of some of my um, disillusionment with things in pipelines that make them go slow, You know, so end-to-end tests or things like that, that if they're written a particular way or used a particular way, the, the thing that caused breakage in a system or pain or people being upset or a bad results, a bad product, and is so delayed from the discovery of it that people in the system don't know what they're doing to cause the problem, right? And so I just I just love seeing how a mob will come together, see two parts of a system that are separated in time or space or whatever, and then make them uh, <laughs> make it obvious to everyone that whenever something breaks here, this is why, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and uh, I think that was really evident in the beer game because they had really slow feedback loops. And um, they made a point to point out that like, maybe 5% of the people that play the game end up actually doing well. And those are the ones that actually kind of stop and have everybody start talking to each other and identifying where all the issues were. And, um, and what's, what's interesting about it is that, you know, basically we can, we can react to something going wrong and it will then make things even worse and even worse and even worse um and so uh you know you have kind of this like you you might have a lot of momentum in what you're doing but if if you lose sight of the entire system uh and the relative feedback loops then then uh you can grind everything to a halt and a lot of that um i think Those sorts of things end up being uh, a really important aspect of learning organizations in general. Um, And so, you know, not only are you doing, you know, directed learning and training to, to, you know, affect those, but a lot of the times also I'll see like, okay, a, a team that's never been exposed to unit testing before they're going to do some training in unit testing. Um, and it might be completely outside of, of their environment, but then, and then maybe like one day, you know, one of those people ends up saying, Hey, I remember that from that training, this would be really useful now. And maybe they just do a few at that point. And so, uh, the effect of that training also, it has its own delayed feedback loop. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just being hyper aware of all of these, um, these things that are shared uh, over time um, and, then, and then learning from those things and, and analyzing them. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's a big difference. Um, and also, you know, I think companies in general are pretty good at this idea of like sharpening the saw. And, and you know, um, I think that's probably like the first step, right, is like to just say, hey, these are the skills that we use every day. Let's practice them actively. Um, and, and then, and then gradually you kind of level up from there, so to speak. You, you find, you know, um, identifying the feedback loops, uh, uh, finding out how to tweak them here and there just to, to, to see the response of the entire system. Um, often we're not able to see or control the entire system, right? So a lot of our businesses are, uh, B2B or, um, you know, uh, you might have a B2C sort of model, but I think that's probably the the simplest style, right? And so a lot of these companies have distributors and and uh, and those distributors have people that buy from them, but that might not be the end customer. And so uh, you know, often I think um, there are a lot of opportunities for things that happen in the beer game to exist in, in our businesses. And uh, I, one thing I really liked about the book, actually they, they talked about, um, You know, when coordinating a business to business interaction, um, stopping with with a, you know, kind of life or death negotiation style discussion and just talk about like what you know, what what would the conversation look like if you were both in the same company, just trying to make it work internally to your own company, you know, ignoring negotiations and prices and everything like that. Um, and they kind of go on to say that, you you know, often the optimal solution ends up being in there, um, even, even with, uh, um, you know, all of this added layers of being part of separate companies and stuff like that. So, so they, they, they had a really good point in, in kind of what a learning organization looks like with B2B transactions, which I I thought was, um, also kind of, you know, it's a little bit outside of the, the scope of the software development, but, um, I think, you know, especially in situations where maybe you're working with a third-party API vendor. Um, That's a great example of, you know, if you were on the same, if you were part of the same company and working to just make this thing work and work effectively, what would you do? Um, And, you know, don't let the, not letting the financials color the experience, I think, was a really interesting um, call out that they made in the book.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's a great point. I think it, it kind of digs into anti-patterns um, yeah. <laughs> that I had some I had some thoughts on and questions on. And and I think you're right. And you know, whether it's different companies, I've seen that happen as well, where an interaction between a third-party vendor dramatically improves as soon as we're like, hey, let's just let's just talk to them, let's just mob with them, let's just call them, let's just interact with them as if they're another team member. <laughs> And then that flow of information and feedback just starts happening. And um, so I could could see that, but I could also see it internally, right? Like it's tempting that when you're on a team to see another department or another team that you interact with as like a separate entity and to naturally put up walls and maybe not care about their outputs as much as yours and that kind of thing. And really, you're just sub-optimizing the system, right? You're not really you're not really helping yourself. You're not really helping them in in the long run. Um, And so, yeah, what are things you have seen that are kind of uh, detrimental to, you know, because I think, so one thing I've seen in a lot of these, uh, in my own experience, in a lot of these books on the learning organization is that dialogue is key, right? You have different parts of the system and you got to come together and have dialogue and a collective understanding of two things. One, the vision where we need to go and then two, where we currently are, which is probably not at the vision yet. Right. We haven't reached there yet, um, but it doesn't always work out. Just starting to talk to the other parts of the system doesn't just magically fix things, you know? So yeah, well, yeah. have you seen things go wrong? And <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah you know, uh, I think one of the key one, ones, is like the throwing it over the fence sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm you know, and, and just in general, uh, longer, you know, again, longer timelines for feedback loops and things, but like, what's interesting is the, the, uh, perpetual suboptimal decision making that can happen when you kind of just divide a team, uh, you know, based on maybe discipline, uh, you know, rather than the product that they're working on or something like that. Oh, Hey, this thing is done now. I'm just going to throw it over the fence. And, you know, I think in our industry, the, uh, the key separation is like testing, uh, being separated from development. Right. And so, um, you know, you could start with TDD and you could TDD the tests that, will be done after afterward. And then you could, uh, as developers and testers together, go and do that work together, right? Like, you know, mob the whole thing with the testers, right? Um, and often then we'll be start catching the failures first. But I, I think just in general, uh, with a separate testing team, uh, I, you know, this may not happen, but I think often it does is, throw it over the fence wait for you know them to you know wait for the the others to then get back to you and then and then act on those things and you know i think the the classic example of the ping pong bug is like a great um a great example of delayed feedback loops not uh you know not learning from delayed feedback loops because i've seen this happen um you know early in my career where it's like you know, developer A works on a feature uh, and deploys it to production. Um, then uh, developer B modifies a dependency to developer A's feature, and then a bug is assigned to developer A because his feature is broken. Um, and then developer A then finds what went wrong and fixes the problem. And then developer dev- uh, and then developer B. Uh, has a bug assigned to them because their feature is broken, but developer A's feature is fixed. And so developer B goes in um, and, you know, these things are happening maybe three months apart because you have like a whole release cycle and then it goes out to the users and the users finally notice it and then send it back. And so developer B fixes their bug. And then now developer A's bug is, is there. And only if developer A notices Or remembers that maybe three to six months ago they fixed that bug, uh, would they have an opportunity to to identify that that cycle happened? But um, Mm -hmm. I've even I've even seen situations where that it's gone back multiple times, back and forth between them, Um, and and that's like a big uh, a big thing. Like unit tests are really interesting because you know people, a lot of people will be like, oh, I write unit tests for myself, or I write them on a team, or whatever, but. Unit tests, I I view as like a, um, a temporal, uh, communication technique. So Mm -hmm. you're even giving yourself an indication of what you intended months or years from now, uh, as well as giving other developers that intention if they didn't work with you on it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I just like the, the time-based effects that unit tests have, uh.
0: Um, across a project uh, so and, and it's fast right so yeah as soon as you make a change the message is sent to the developer who did it right yeah, <laughs> the team yeah did right. It. hey here's this message for you when you made that change you know <laughs> yeah and, and yeah because the the opposite the anti-pattern
1: is just letting these really long feedback loops play out and you don't realize how, just how much effectiveness or efficiency you've lost over a long period of time. Um, and, and it gets hidden and, and no one notices and, and people just kind of keep going about their day. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe that gets chalked up to their bug rate and yeah, I mean, that's also a negative impact. Like, you know, say that their performance reviews are based off of how many bugs they get and they're just tossing this bug back and forth. Right. So they they're just, they're destroying their own metrics and they don't even know, right? Um, and so uh, that's why a big, you know, that, that's why thinking about these long-term feedback loops are, are really
0: important. Yeah, yeah. And it, what's really cool about all this, and I think there's a big tie-in to, I mean, we've been saying it kind of in pieces all along, is systems thinking, learning organization, and mob programming. I think have a really strong synergy for several reasons, right? Because some of the anti-patterns you talk about, right? is just like, oh, we'll just start talking to people. Well, if people don't know how to talk to other disciplines and parts of the system as well, it may not lead to anything, right? You know, so like you were saying before, if, if people just start talking, but they have no ability to experiment or they have no power to change the system. I remember uh, in, in a previous uh, organization and team, we would have these retrospectives and people were checked out because they just knew we had no power to make a difference on these problems, right? And so if you get different parts of the system talking, but they don't have power to do anything or run experiments, then it's just talk. It doesn't really help anything, right? Um, Another anti-pattern is if you go into a quote-unquote dialogue just to advocate, right? I'm all for advocation. I love hearing other people's opinion. I want to advocate, but if you're not there to learn from the other part of the system what's going on you don't really have uh, an objective understanding of the reality of the system because all you have is oh i came to tell this other part of the system how it is you know it's kind of like you're not really going to learn you're not really a learning organization unless you're really learning about those other parts of the system and i think the big synergy for mobbing comes in is because if uh, maybe a side effect for mob programming as I've seen is that people who have been mob programming well for a while, they they get really good at the opposite of these anti-patterns. They get really good at inquiry, about learning from others, about um, being on a team and making decisions, right? So at least in the mobs we work in, they have extreme ownership. They have the ability to do things and change and they uh, own their outcomes, right? And so basically, all of us, every every human has lots of dialogue issues and it has all these inner anti-patterns built into us. But if you're mob programming, it's really hard and you, you figure out how to do it well with the team, it's really hard to have an absence of trust. It's really hard to have a fear of conflict anymore. It's really hard to have a lack of commitment and accountability because the only way you can keep mobbing well is to establish trust, is to have good conflict and figure out how to commit with the team. And so I think, I've seen people who've been mob programming well for a while tend to be really good systems thinkers. You just throw them in a system, and they'll naturally start learning how the system works and learning from inquiring about the different parts of the system and sharing information and increasing feedback loops and those kind of things. And so, um, I, I I don't think it's it's not the inverse isn't true. Like to be a good system thinker, you must first be a good mob programmer. But I think. a a good mob programmer tends to turn out to be a good systems thinker. I don't know. What's your experience there? I think, I think
1: as long as, you know, you kind of said it there where it's, it's asking questions and and clarifying. Right. And so, uh, I think often in mobs, I will see, uh, you know, even if one person doesn't really have a full picture of the system, uh, there is space and opportunity to ask about the whole system and, Mm. and clarify. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, there's, there's situations where, and different practices where if it, if it, if you're in a situation where it's really not good, then you, you might have everybody with a different idea of where you are and where you're going. Um, and I've seen practices emerge like, uh, everyone draws and other, you know, other things like that. Um, and uh, this idea that maybe everybody draws the architecture as they understand it now, and then talks about the differences and things like that. So, um, one key thing that I think comes out of that is that, you know, everybody's mental model gets put on the table and then, you know, everybody has some parts, right. And some parts wrong. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you reconcile all of them together, like everybody's understanding is the better for it. Um, and constructive dialogue and, and can, uh, can come out of it. And, and so uh, those events often are just not available to people uh, in their careers. You know, uh, maybe they're a solo developer who has one way of thinking about it and only learns from their mis- mistakes kind of late in the development. Uh, and you know, maybe they're just being told kind of what to do and and how to do it. Even um, I think especially in systems where architecture is defined by a separate architect right because then it's like okay i'm a developer i've been handed down uh this direction to go in um i have no idea why this choice was made and i'm going to just execute on it um you know that inherently i think just reduces learning right like it it, you're as an as an as an organization that system in particular is going out of its way to reduce the amount of learning happening um and so then you know that that individual uh gets a limited view of the system can only execute on on their portion of the system um
0: and i think you know mobbing just kind of naturally inverts that which is really cool nice nice well cool we might be coming up on time and maybe we'll you know, we, we've kind of explored abstractly a lot. Maybe we'll bring it down back to planet Earth uh, to end. Uh, you know, if, if someone were looking to become, uh, take a step towards systems thinking or a learning organization, you know, uh, what maybe what, what's an experiment you might uh, throw at them to try out? Yeah, uh, well, so
1: I, I did, you know, if you haven't read the fifth discipline, uh, it's been reckon, recommended to me multiple times and we, we read it recently and, and uh, got a lot out of it. Um, I do think that doing a a systems thinking style map of whatever system you are in and acknowledging the long-term feedback loops in your system uh, and and thinking about those things could be really helpful. Um, And then also getting, you know, many people uh, involved in that and then deciding, you know, what, what do you learn? How do you improve? How do you sharpen the saw around uh, those feedback loops um, and and understanding and experimenting, those sorts of things. So for me, that's it. Um, how about you, Austin?
0: You got any- no, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And I think just learning about it is is a good one. Um, I think for me, one that is maybe too practical, so it probably runs the risk of uh, uh, being inapplicable in some contexts, but is just next time you encounter a problem, you know? So kind of going back to the fifth discipline in the book, uh, the example of the beer game where like, you know, had all these different parties ordering and they're getting angry at each other because people were ordering more, but there wasn't more. And then they ordered more on top of that. And then they got too much, you know? So is that the next time you're in a situation where you're like, ah, this isn't good. I'm feeling pain for, you know, in my part of the system, I'm feeling pain and I'm tempted to just try harder is to instead step back look at the bigger picture and then just say like i don't need to understand the entire system maybe maybe that's too much but maybe go one or two nodes out and then just bring them into your team bring them into a discussion bring them into a mob session or whatever and then just ask questions to learn about the system uh because i think it'll naturally generate empathy and you'll learn more about the system and I think what I've usually seen is naturally you find ways to solve the problem that's not char harder or they're messing up over there in that part of the system. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just usually really good things just to come out of that. It's just, I'm experiencing pain. Let me talk to other parts of the system that are involved and learn from them. <laughs> you know, yeah. I like it. I like yeah. It. I like it. Well, cool. uh,
1: for our audience uh, out there, uh, if you, um, If you know somebody that maybe is affected by slower feedback loops and and maybe are frustrated, maybe you can recommend this episode to them. Uh, And then also uh, be sure to like and subscribe and all that. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye.